Well, good morning again, saints. Glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, especially after what I said a few minutes ago. I'm glad you're still saying, I'm glad you're here. Remember, I said, if you don't have a sense of humor, you might be in the wrong church. I'm sure people were thinking, what about you? Maybe you're the one in the wrong church, you know, which would be a fair comment. Makes sense to me. Let me mention a couple of things. One is our, our uh, junior church program has been renamed Kids, Kids uh, Kingdom, Kingdom Kids. <laughs> it's been renamed Kingdom Kids with a Z. And uh, so you'll be looking for that upgrading and uh, moving along just got kicked off this morning. So thank you for those who are helping make that happen. It's hard to uh, have people want to visit if they don't have a place they feel comfortable having their kids. So that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I was also thinking about the subject this morning, and maybe some of you know what the title is. Uh, I, it's kind of like stolen from something. Probably rings, rings some bells if you're science fiction people. Anybody science fiction people? <laughs> the flesh awakens. Doesn't that sound outer spacey kind of, sort of? You think about it, though, uh, just want to explain, uh, if you're visiting, that what we're doing together as a congregation is we're working through that little book there on the side, the Daily Bible. We mentioned how far you should be. And uh, it's a great thing to read all the way through because we miss an awful lot. People are sitting in ch- churches today. They may even know the Lord, but they don't know a lot about him. And where he reveals himself is in his word. I know that sounds uh, probably to the modern world almost superstitious, but it is the truth. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the sunder, the soul and spirit. It sorts out your inner junk. Is there a meeting out there? (laughs) Always happens, you know. uh, They're having a vote. Anyway. Get him out of here. Anyway, so we're all in trouble left to ourselves, the human race. Have you noticed that there's a lot of trouble in the world? People get themselves in trouble. If you read the paper, it's every day. And the source of that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. But we have the privilege as believers of being able to war against it. It's called the flesh. It's the sin nature. It's the thing that's left in us since Adam and Eve rebelled in Eden and infected all their children. And guess what? We're them. Seriously, you believe that? Absolutely. That seminar up in Quebec is this month. I don't know if I'm going to get to go, but scientific evidence supporting the reality of the beginning. Eden. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yes, there is such a thing. Anyway, the flesh at work. So I stole this from Star Wars for those of you who don't get out and watch really intellectual and, and uh, spiritually oriented movies like uh, the Star Wars series. Uh, the flesh awakens because it's how we all get in trouble. And we, as the believers in Jesus, do have a power to say no to that thing. We can, when it tries to awaken, we can choose to subdue it. And we have the authority to do that rather than just respond to it or let it push us around. How do we used to think about evil? I'm going to resurrect a few pictures from the old days. 
The old days, when we thought about evil, we thought about the enemy, we would think along this line. Let's see if I can get it. To... I'm having trouble. Back one. Let me try it again. Don't touch it. Touch it. Don't touch it. Oh, it's there. My screen doesn't show anything. Now you know why I'm in the dark right there. More than usual. Yeah, the devil, Mephistopheles mask here, right? You know, that's obviously the devil. He's got horns, right? Everybody you meet that's evil has horns. Nah, 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 nah. The modern version looks like this, right? (sighs) You are a rebel spy and a traitor. Take him away. Well... How did that happen from this? That sweet little kid. I'll tell you what happened. The flesh awakened, right? Something evil inside was fed and grew. I want to tell a story this morning that's out of the Old Testament. I think most of us have read past it. I'll have to give you a little background. When the children of Israel came out of Uh, Egypt out of bondage, one of the things that Moses was told to make was the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that is, an Ark is simply a box. But it was a special box. It was covered with gold. It was made beautiful. And on the top, it had a lid. And on the lid were two cherubim, angelic beings, facing each other with their wings touching. And they were looking at a flat zone in the middle called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where sacrificial blood, the representation of life, would be poured out to indicate that a a life has been paid to atone for, to cover our sins. So the children of Israel would look at that. That was a picture of them, seeing that to them, of seeing the blood of a sacrifice put on on the mercy seat. The ark was placed in the presence of the holy God, and he would look at that and say, you're covered. That was, it's imagery. It's a visual. The real sacrifice that was coming. Yes, ma'am. Where did you come from? Well, yes, there was the law. There was Aaron's uh, staff that budded. And there was also one other thing in there. Manna. But you know that by the time Indiana Jones looked in it, it was all dust, right? It all had rotted away. <laughs> Which would have, been, would have been true, as a matter of fact. It was all dust by that time. So that's true. That was the law of God, the testimony of God was in the ark. Yes. Yes. It covered, right? But those things were in there as a witness. You know, it was a witness, a reminder. This was, this was a sacred item. You know, you, we're, we're having all this drama today about statues and famous personages. For the Israelites, the ark was the center, if you will, of, of their worship. It represented, if you will, the presence of God with his people. So when the people traveled, they would carry the ark. When they traveled, Moses would say, rise up, O Lord. And, you know, be with the armies of Israel. And when they would plant themselves in a place as a, as a campground, they would set up the tabernacle again. They would bring the ark in and put it in the Holy of Holies. Then he would say, return to your resting place, O God. 
So they had this connection of a, a very tangible sense of the presence of God. And God would appear in the tabernacle. His glory was so amazing that the priests could not go in there at times. So that's the ark. You need to know that if you didn't know what I'm about to talk about, because at one point, when Saul was king, those of you remember, he wasn't the best election that ever happened. They got into a war with the Philistines. Does this sound relevant? <laughs> anyway, anyway, they got into a war with the Philistines. And they were losing, and so let's solve the problem. We'll get God out of his tent... We'll take him with us, and of course, we'll win. Guess what happened? They got clobbered because God said, you can't manipulate me like that. You're living for me, I'm with you. If you're not living for me, I'm not with you. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. <gasps> Ma'am. Only on an occasion. Yeah, like, like when they conquered the land, the Ark circled uh, Jericho the first time. Yeah, but... No, after a while, they would not do that. So anyway, they lost it. The Philistines kept it. God's judging the kings of the Philistines with goiters and all kinds of grubby things happening to them. They're like, it's because of this God of Israel. We've got to get rid of this thing. So there's a long story where it ends up at somebody's house. And so Saul is kind of spiritually a little bit dull. He doesn't really do anything about this for a long time. And then he's killed in battle. And David knows that it's lost, and he's got a heart to bring the ark back to be the center of the worship of Yahweh. He wants to set things back in order. You know, David loves God. He wants to honor God. He wants, it. He wants correct worship set up. So David goes, and he puts the, uh, uh, the ark is in a cart, the way the Philistines sent it home to Israel. It just wandered off to some man's house, Obed-Edom. And uh, he goes and he takes that cart, and they're leading the cart, which is not the way it's supposed to be carried. By the way, everybody struggles with this story. Me too. There's a son of Obed-Edom named Uzzah. The cart hits a rock. The, the Ark of the Covenant seems to be tottering. He reaches out and grabs the Ark to stop it and instantly dies. And the Bible says that David was ticked. Doesn't use that word, but that's what happened. In fact, here's the interesting word about it. David was vexed, grieved, angry. David was trembling himself over this. The Septuagint translates the very word for being angry this. Listen to this. He was discouraged or disheartened. He wanted to bring the, the presence of God back into Jerusalem to be the center, the focal point of Israeli worship, and God brings judgment. Now, there were two reasons. One is Uzzah had no business touching the ark. There were clear rules in the Old Testament. Only the priests and Levites were supposed to transport the ark, and even then they weren't supposed to be touching it. But here's the thing. When we read about David, we automatically think he was mad at God, and there may have been a little of that, like, man, you're hard to figure out. Anybody ever feel that way? But I think there was more. I look at it from a leadership perspective. What did I do wrong that just caught this man his life? So he's in distress about this. He's in distress. So that brings us to where our story begins today. That's all background. Do you know how long this message is going to be today? <laughs> Get some coffee. Okay. Okay. 
So here's what happens. They find out that God had blessed the home where it had parked, and he goes down to take the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem the right way this time. He's got all the official people, the Levites, whatever. They're going to worship the Lord. They go down and they grab this thing and bring it up. David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. That was the second place it was where it was blessed. Into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. He, they had a little worship service right there. Got excited. Think why? I have um, something in my history. Where's where's uh, where's Ryan? Ryan, are you still here? Ryan, don't go to sleep on me. I already heard this. I was telling him this yesterday. So years ago, we moved from Tucson, Arizona, back to New York. I had this brilliant idea of buying my own moving truck. I want you to know it wasn't a brilliant idea. But I thought it was a brilliant idea. So I bought this moving truck, and we loaded all of our earthly possessions in the back of this thing and drove across country along the southern route there through El Paso, all of that. And the first place the motor blew up was Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, Bessemer, Bessemer, Alabama. Oh, there's a whole bunch of stories to go with that, but we don't have time today. The brother that went with me was a pastor of a church who had always dreamed of being a NASCAR driver and knew how to take an engine apart and put it back together. And we did it in a church parking lot and got it going again and drove all the way to the next place that the motor blew up again. <laughs> the second place it blew up was Baltimore. Or as my friend from Baltimore says, Baltimore. Baltimore. Boom, blows up again. My friend says, I can't go any further. I got to get back to work. He goes back to work. I'm stuck there. I leave it with a Christian brother who let me park it on his property, and I went home to New York. All our stuff sitting down Baltimore. And finally, uh, my father was still alive at the time. He was quite a bit of a mechanic. I talked to him. He said, if you can get me that engine, I can replace it with the exact one ready to go. I'm going to tell you, the story I'm about to tell you, I used to wake up at night with <gasps> panic attacks about this. I am not a mechanic. I mean, I can, I can handle changing oil, jumping a car, turning it on. That works really good, too. I can do that. So I drove down, rented a, a lift, went to the place. It was a tilt cab, GMC V6 motor, very unique. Tilted the cab. You know, here's me. Duh. I go, every bolt I took out and everywhere I put where I knew it all went back exactly the way I took it apart, put the, the winch on it, pulled it up, put it in the back of my mother's little Mazda pickup truck. My mom owned a little Mazda pickup truck. And I drive all the way to New York. My dad gives me the new one, takes the old core. I bring it all the way back. He tells me, here's the start. Do this, and by the way, when you hook up the transmission, a manual transmission, you have to line up these. Some of you guys are going, yeah, I get that. I'm going like, what? <laughs> line this thing up. Yeah, line it up. Okay. So I drive it all the way down. I get another, I rent another, yeah, motor jack, whatever you want to call it. da 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 you know, put it in, boom, a bolt here, bolt here, wire here. Let's see, this one went here. This, blah, 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 put it all back together. 
Then I get underneath and I, that little, into the transmission. Got it done. Jumped in the car, in the truck cab, turned the motor on. Here was the acid test. First gear. Went three feet, turned it off, and jumped out of the truck. And I ran it. That's how David felt. I went, I went right in. I, I took a shower, got in that truck, and did not stop till I hit New York. That's how David felt. Oh, six paces. The ark is coming home. Woo-hoo-hoo. Everybody, well, oh, I hear I thought you were cheering. Go, preacher, go. I thought we were getting charismatic here for a minute. We sold it. Boy, are you fussy. We worked it out. Somehow I got home. Sherry, you remember how I got home? We did not leave it there. Not leave. It is not. I would not leave a truck in Baltimore. I wouldn't do that to anybody. Anyway. Hey, it's a while back. But that sense of, oh, is this going to work? That's as fresh as it could possibly be today. Anybody get what I'm saying? And how David must have felt? When was the last time you got that excited about God? Ma'am, you better have a good question because, like, I'm running out of time here. <laughs> Connie. <gasps> don't, don't tell that part of the story. I'm not there yet. Shh. Listen, we always keep the R-rated part for later. You already know what kind of a pastor I am, the way I made announcements, right? Okay, let me help you out here. Here's the next part. He sacrificed an ox and a fat lamb. I guess that's enough of a sermon right there. You want to go home now? David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, something reserved for the priest. But this was a time of worship. So it was like, you know how some preachers preach in robes or little white collars, which I'm going to start doing. And, uh, and, and so this, this king was like, oh, he's a prophet too, you know. He wrote all this, a lot of the Psalms, etc. He puts on this linen ephod as a, an act of worship, if you will, like making... Bringing some dignity to this event, which, by the way, churches could really stand a little. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting, shameful. And the sound of a trumpet, which I should have brought my ram's horn over, yeah, and blown it, because that's probably what it was. They're They're making a lot of noise. So there you go. David and all the house of Israel bringing up the ark of the Lord was shouting and the sound of a trumpet. We'll come back to that in a minute. And it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Did you read that? Leaping and dancing. Shameful boogie woogie. (laughs) Dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. 
She thoroughly despised. She considered him vile. She thought of him as worthless, despicable, contemptible. That's what that word means. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I'm sure that time was a little more reverent. But they were both as unto God. Shouting and jumping and reverent and quiet sacrifices. See, what we're talking about today is the domination of the dark side. And that's what happened to Mikal. She's listening to her flesh. I'll unpack a little bit why it was like that when I unpack her personally in a few minutes. But for now, let's just talk about worship wars. How relevant can this possibly be? Most of the worship wars are kind of passe at this point. You know what I mean by worship wars? Churches all over America have fought, split, been nasty, hateful, theorized, etc. about how other people worship because they're wrong and we're right. There's a man whose writings about the sovereignty of God absolutely are phenomenal and feed the soul. His perspective on worship in his church is wrong, in my opinion. But he's sure he's right. And all his little clones who follow him think they're right, too, and make trouble in local churches. There's much more depth here going on. Mostly, those kind of uh, fightings are over. We've worked through it. But still in our heart, there's some of that warfare still permeating our spirit, where we wrestle. Maybe, maybe, and what I would ask you to do today, I mean, so far the message, I, I think, has not been totally boring, but I'll work on it, that I would take time to say, do I look like that? Is that me? I don't think so, but maybe I am. Ponder, for example, that jumping. We just saw the worship service at your son's college, right? I saw a little video clip, you know, because parents do stuff like that. They get the video clip. And uh, they're worshiping God. And I don't know if you've ever seen that when all of a sudden they're like, you're praising Jesus and they're like this, you know. Terrible. No, I get a kick out of that. I really do. I'll never forget, I was at the, uh, the leadership summit in Chicago, Bill Hybels Church. It was when Robin Marks, anybody know who he is? Robin Marks, you should know who he is. Revival in Belfast. When that album first came to America, they had Robin Marks and his team come and lead worship. And it was awesome. It was awesome. There was no question. There was a God focus that melted you down. And in the middle of the celebratory worship, not just reverence but celebration, out come some of their young ladies who know how to do Irish dancing. And it was like the whole crowd went nuts. And I don't mean nuts because, oh, like we did dancing. That's not why. It was complete joy celebrating before God made you want to get up and do the same thing, except I would look awful doing it. It'd be a great way to clear the room. But it was delightful, celebrating. I couldn't keep it, couldn't keep it subdued, if you will. I was at some leader, in fact, I think it might have been one of those, those uh, conferences 
where a brother who ministers in Hawaii had a group of kids in his church that fell in love with Jesus, and their only talent was they were cheerleaders, so they did cartwheels unto the Lord. I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe David did a cartwheel. He was leaping around. And by the way, he wasn't nude. Connie, I know you were trying to get things riled up here. He's wearing, but it was probably a little more like, you know, the Scots in their kilts. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And so he's dancing, and his skirt went up a little bit, and whoo, nice thighs, you know. Something along that line, and he was so not conscious, he was worshiping God and enjoying God. This is not a recommendation or a permission for anything lewd, and nothing lewd is implied in this. But Mikhail was offended. We don't worship that way here. Oh, but there's more to it. Let me just tell you some of the, and, and I don't want to park on this because I really want to deal with where we're broken. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're really free. We have drums on the platform. <laughs> Electric guitars. Yeah, that perfect. Well, you got trouble, my friends, right here in River City. You know that, right? That's the problem. I couldn't help it when I heard the gasp. It sounded, <gasps> when your son leaves the house, does he rebuckle his knickers below the knee? I just saw that recently. Never mind, I digress. Here's some of the things I've had people gripe about over the years. You use movie clips. Jesus would never use movie clips. Now, there's a profound insight. Wow. A thinking man like Aristotle. Yes, he would have if they had VCRs or whatever they were called. Yes, he would. Observe the lilies of the field. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye... He used visuals all the time. Where did you get this stupid idea? You didn't get it from the Bible. It came from your religious flesh. Oh, you don't use the... By the way, this is not a local. This is ancient for me. So nobody... I don't, I don't pick on anybody. If you're the only one that I know has the problem, I will not use it as an illustration. When I hear it from 12 other people or three, I know it's out there. we got problems. You don't use the King James v Version. You're sinning. Really? Because King James was such a godly man. No, anyway, the, the point is, not so. Thank you, brother. You know, that was a political move. Did you know that? Do your history. My first experience, I was leading youth group at First Baptist Church in Flushing. No comments. I had a guitar after the service, and I had my kids. They're singing junior high kids. I, I, can, do that. I can do that. That was fun. And they were singing unto the Lord. They loved the Lord. It was great. And after the service came the matron. Grabbed one of the deacons, told him how satanic, satanic it was that I had a guitar on that platform. I told you I was in another church. 
not going to mention which one. A lady, it was a very staid congregation. A lady was worshiping God, just lifting her hands. You know, you've probably noticed I do that once in a while. I don't do it for your sake. And somebody took it upon themselves, the worship police in the church, to rebuke this woman and say, you have no business raising your hands. Now, when you're contradicting the scripture, do you think that that has a little flesh or maybe a little demonic influence in it? Totally missed it. I wondered why the pastor didn't rebuke the rebuker severely, because that's what I would have done. But I wasn't the boss. Then. <laughs> so guitars, our drums, we, we were working our worship team up at, in uh, Binghamton, and we had to start by putting the drums behind a curtain. <laughs> Pay no attention to those drums behind the curtain. <laughs> I got a million of them. <laughs> Suppose somebody's in worship mode in front of you and they, you hear them praying in tongues. Lord, So what? That has nothing to do with being a Baptist. Did you know that? We, oh, we're a Baptist church. Duh, has nothing to do with that. Go find out what the historical position of Baptists are if you want to be fussy about that has nothing to do with that. Nothing. They're worshiping between them and God. If they disrupt the service, that's a different subject. Then you have to deal with that, depending on whether you have appropriate gifts to help you through it. We're so paranoid about things that are not that critical. D.L. Moody, famous preacher, right? D.L. Moody. Everybody knows Moody. He was unorthodox in his preaching style. So somebody came up to him and said, I don't like the way you do evangelism. So Moody said, how do you do evangelism? You know what evangelism is? Leading people to a personal relationship with Christ. How do you do evangelism? Well, I don't. So Moody said, I like my way better than your way. <laughs> idiot. Although he probably didn't add idiot. I added that. Wesley... Wesley was preaching one time. He had a long tie on, and uh, a lady came up to him after the service. I'm offended by your tie. He said, why? It's too long. So he asked for a scissor. He said, ma'am, would you cut it off? <laughs> cut, it, cut it off to what you think would be the appropriate length. And so she did. So he took the scissor and said, now, would you put your tongue out? I want to... He was going to adjust it to the right length because it was obviously too long. So most of us have gotten past all that modern shameful music we use, you know, these worship songs. By the way, can I just tell you your flesh can act up on either side of that equation? Some of us, I know we don't like, and this is not picked that, I told you, I only say it when I know it from many people. We don't like worship songs. Oh, it's all that Jesus, 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 over and over again. I've heard so many Christians say that, and it's like, would you just get saved? It's the name above every name. Why are you, what is wrong with you? Number one, 
Or it's, I could sing of your love forever. It just never stops. I could sing of your love forever. Yeah, it's kind of like a psalm. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty evil. But then we go, oh, I don't like hymns. And you know what? I understand some hymns are stodgy and what have you, and some hymns should have never been written. But I'm just going to tell you as your pastor, I insist, okay, we didn't have one today. I like to have them. Here's why. I think we need to be exposed to the great truth that comes out of those hymns. So try to enjoy God in the middle of it. Try. It's like, I don't like that. and I'm not going to. Your flesh is winning. The domination of the flesh is already winning. You're losing. I am going. Some of you might remember this story. We love this story. It's a great story. One of the Pharisees requested him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she uh, learned, she leaned, she was leaning too. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head. Friends, this is... Have you ever gone to a foot... Have you ever had your feet washed by someone else? It's, it's intimidating. It's, right? It's like, whoa, am I, am I okay? Anybody get what I mean? It's like, this is... You talk about, I want my personal space, get out of my face. This is pretty personal. There's nothing immoral or lewd here. Don't misunderstand. But it did say she was a sinner. Friends, it wasn't because she cheated on her income tax once in a while. She had a reputation. And kissing his feet, anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw... Now, this is the church elder. He said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of a person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. I just want you to ponder this for a minute. Two things about the Pharisees' thinking. One, she can't possibly approach God. It's the first thing he thinks. She has no right. She, she's dirty. This is not right. What she is doing is ick. And if he was a prophet, he would rebuke her and tell her to get born again and repent of her sins and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, she did need to repent of her sins. That's what she was doing. Why do you think she was crying? She recognized how much she needed to be forgiven of. First thing, she's doing it wrong. The second thing, God would never approve of this. Which of the two came away from that situation justified in the sight of God? Which of the two? This is not a trick question class. The woman came away right with God, the Pharisee who was feeding him blew it because he was so self-righteous. We have to guard ourselves. Some of us here think we're mature Christians. I love that. Oh, I'm a mature Christian. Am I? Do you expect brand new believers not to throw up on themselves, wet their diapers, do all that's what babies do? Oh, that's, that's unacceptable in church. That's terrible. That kind of language, what do you think you're doing? 
I'm being a baby. That's what I'm doing. You want to throw me in the trash can? Or do you want to see me discipled and grow? Mature Christians need to be a little more mature so that they realize I'm not tainted or infected because this guy uses terrible language or whatever it is. He's coming out of the world. When David returned to bless his household, here's how the story goes. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished him. Boy, did you make a scene today. You uncovered yourself in the eyes of his servants, maids like a foolish one shamelessly uncovers himself. You jerk. You empty fellow. Uh, I think our version says, the, the, the Daily Bible, you're like a vulgar guy. One version says, a buffoon. Sounds like the Pharisee, doesn't it? You got it all wrong, and God can't possibly be pleased. Really? So David screwed up, and you're right. Wow. See, that's like the person who says, what kind of a pastor would make a joke about marijuana on a Sunday morning? <laughs> How unspiritual that man is. I'm never coming back here. That's fine. No more bongos on Sunday. He's out. <laughs> you guys take yourself too seriously sometimes. Let me just be clear on marijuana. It's a satanic instrument that brings you under demonic bondage, not just makes you stupid. So if you're a believer and you're still fooling around with that, you need to repent. Simple. Is that straight enough? It was just, it was a joke. What was that? Did I miss something? You write that. Write that. You can, you can take that to the bank. Have to say some hard things because sometimes church leadership doesn't walk on water. I feel bad for pastors who really love God and are trying their very best to lead their churches into health because there's so many that are not doing that and they give us a bad name. But I want you to consider the activity of the flesh. We don't like this. We don't like that. That pastor did this. That leader did that. They have that kind of music. They do this. They took the pews out. Whatever the thing is, and we go from church to church and never put it on the radar that we're the broken one, not them. We're the broken one. I can worship in almost any spiritual context if they love the Lord. I, you know, I haven't pulled it off yet at a mosque. But if they love Jesus, I can glean something and I can enter into something. Unless something's totally wrong, cult-like, evil. And that's the only time, by the way, you'll ever hear me condemn any other kind of movement or church. I never do it. And we have plenty that I could talk about right in this area, but I don't. Because Jesus' example to his disciples was, mind your own business. They're casting out demons in, our, in your name, Jesus, but they're not in our club. And Jesus said, mind your own business. Let, let them alone. Let God sort it out. Keep your nose to the grindstone. So that's what I try to do. As opposed to Michal's 
aristocratic attitude. That's what it was, by the way. And there are sometimes in churches people who think they're the aristocrats, that they're, you know what? You helped found the church. You've been here 25 years. That doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Did you hear what I said? Look at David's response to Michal, if I can get it to work. Here we go. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. And let me rub it in a little bit. I will be more lightly esteemed than this. You think that was bad. I'll do worse than that. And I don't care what any spiritual boob says. Because that's what they are, spiritual boobs. They don't know what they're talking about. That's a bad word, probably, right? (laughs) Spiritual moron. Did I clarify that? Okay. Now, here's an opportunity for the church to use grace toward their pastor. I will do more than that and be humble in my own eyes, but with the maidens of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. You're the one on the way out, Michal, and she was. That heart that says what everybody thinks is second to what God thinks was the one that wins. Yes, ma'am. They respect him because he will be the honored king, and he had been his life. Even with his blunders. His heart always came back, how do I honor God? Which one of those, David or her, were despicable in the eyes of God? Well, I don't like that kind of worship. Too bad. I didn't like the way you did. Too bad. There was some pastor I heard one time said, I'll do anything short of sinning to win people to Christ. I wonder how many saints can handle that one. Anything short of sinning. See, the problem is, underneath, there can be an ugliness. Did I go the wrong way? I went the wrong way. Yeah, here it is. That's what Anakin looks like later, without his helmet. Let me just read a couple of things to you, and then I'm going to close, all right? I have just enough time, and hopefully I don't super abuse you. Let me find it. Nancy Lee DeMoss wrote an article on... Broken people and unbroken people, not the way we like to use the word broken. We say we're all broken, meaning we're sinful. That's not what it means. Broken like David, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. A humble spirit. Proud people are self-righteous. Michal was self-righteous. She's looking down on David, and boy, was she making a mistake. Proud people keep others at arm's length. Proud people are blind to their true heart condition. Proud people don't think they have anything to repent of. Can I just give you a hint? If you know Jesus, you have nothing to repent of. In the last week, something's broken. Up here, you're missing something. I had to repent of something this week. Two things. Proud people are blind to their true heart condition, but broken people choose to walk in the light. Proud people are concerned with being respectable with what others think. They work to protect their own image and their reputation. I call it, you know, image management. We're really good at that. 
want to make sure everybody thinks I'm spiritual. They already figured it out. Get it? That, yeah, okay. Broken people are concerned with being real. What matters to them is not what others think, but what God knows. They are willing to die to their own reputation. That's a hard one, right? I don't mean that you should act like an idiot and dishonor the Lord. That's not what I'm, I don't care what anybody thinks. Some people have that attitude. I don't care what anybody thinks. Guess what? That's your dark side dominating. Just on a different side. I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, you should. But ultimately, I want to care what God knows. I want to care about what he knows. A while back, we did our Dr. Phil book. That's a joke for people who know the right name. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Huh? And he references in there St. Benedict's Ladder of Humility. Listen to the eight steps on the path to humility. Doesn't the Bible say something God draws near to the humble? Doesn't it say something about that? Yes. The answer class is yes. Step one, fear of God and mindfulness of him. If we could just get that. (laughs) He's here now watching all the time. Step two, doing God's will, not our own or other people's demands. I want to do God's will. Step three, willing to subject ourselves to the direction of others. Step four, patient to accept the difficulty of others. I got to work on that one. Step five, radical honesty to others about our weaknesses and faults. Here's where it gets really itchy to me. Step six, deeply aware of being chief of all sinners. Ooh. I made a little vow this week. Step seven, speaking less. Not counting when I preach. And step eight, transformed into the love of God. Here, there is no haughtiness, no sarcasm, no put-downs, no airs of importance. We are able to embrace our limits and those of others. We are fully aware of how fragile we are and are under no illusions. We are at home with ourselves and content to rely on the mercy of God. Everything is a gift. Let me make it clear in case we missed it. David was the king of Israel, the anointed one, the leader who killed Goliath, defeated all their enemies, set up the kingdom that was going to be the the showpiece of human history. That was David. And he said, I'll humble myself even more than this. I'm just one of the guys. Are you getting? That's why I said, doesn't matter how long you've been in the church and how much you know and all that. I'm just one of the guys and until, or one of the gals. And until I have that spirit, the dark side is dominating. Everybody get what I'm saying? It's a choice to choose to die to the flesh and to be alive to the spirit. It's a choice. It doesn't happen automatically. And we desperately need to grow in this regard. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and be silent for just a minute. We think about that transformation work of moving up the ladder of humility. And I said, I asked that you would ask God 
Is that me at some point? Do I do that? Do I have that attitude towards somebody who may be worshiping with all their heart, but I know how broken they are, so poof. Either direction, anyway, up, down, sideways. Help me, Lord, to embrace the ladder of humility. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to grow. The Spirit speaks to you. Write yourself a note. Put it on your prayer assignment for this week. Press into it. You can almost guarantee the Holy Spirit will show you more if you start up the ladder. So help us. Lord Jesus, we pray for your blessing on your people and we pray for your help that we might become those kind of worshipers that really it was before the Lord that we did this and I'm willing to be humbled even more so that you're honored, so that the energy in this room is aimed to you, not toward our emotions, but to you. We want to honor and please you. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and put your angels around your people this very week. In the name of Jesus, amen. You are dismissed.